Finally, our sermon text this morning, if you want to turn there with me, uh, all the way back in our Bibles, the first book of the Bible, to Genesis chapter number 22 this morning. Genesis chapter 22, uh, that great story uh, of uh, Abraham's ultimate act of faith. And so we see that here, uh, chapter 22 of Genesis, really uh, one of the more familiar stories of the Old Testament, Uh, maybe one of the more troubling stories for some of us. Uh, but we'll see how it teaches us about Jesus and uh, how we, are, we find our own life and our faith in him. Here's what God says to us this morning. Let's hear uh, very attentively and uh, meditate upon these beautiful words for the next few moments. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he, Abraham, said, here I am. He, God, said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both, uh, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. 
Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Ma'akah. And all of God's people say to these words, Amen. Well, here in this wonderful account, this large account beginning at chapter 12 of the life and the story, the narrative of Abraham, our father, spiritual father, I've endeavored to show you the ups and downs, his faith, his doubts, so that, first of all, we don't take a man-centered, human-centric view of Abraham and his life. Uh, We can do this when we think of him as just merely as a hero. He's one of the heroes in the hall of faith, so-called, Hebrews 11. Uh, Or we might think to ourselves, uh, if we we fail to see not just uh, his ups, but also his downs, and we fail to see his doubts, not only his faith, uh, we can we can begin to think, well, he's different than us. You know, this this is Abraham, right? This is Father Abraham, and and we've got to be be like him because he's different than us. Or we might even think of him merely as an example to us. Even here, we can think of his faith and and merely as as just a mere example of you know faithfulness overcoming many obstacles. He is an example to us. He is our spiritual father. Uh, and yes, in a sense, he is a hero to us. Uh, he's the one that God called, and he brings salvation to the world. But we need to see not just his faith, but also uh, his doubt. Secondly, uh, to impress upon us once again, to impress upon us once again that when the New Testament, for example, Galatians 3, verse 9, when Paul calls him the man of faith, the man of faith, When we hear those kinds of phrases, the man of faith, that should lead us to the God who in his grace gifts Abraham and us and sinners like us with faith. His faith points us to the God of faith. And so even greater yet, Abraham is an example to us. He is an example to us of the irresistible The invincible grace of God. Amen? Here's a sinner just like you and me who's called, who believes, who struggles, and who overcomes in faith. All to show us that it is God, ultimately, who in his grace is so irresistible, so invincible, that not even a sinner like Abraham and like us can thwart his purpose and his plans. And so Genesis 22 has been called the crowning event of Abraham's life as he offers his son Isaac by faith he saw ultimately by faith God's own son being offered up on the cross provided by the father for the sins of the world all those whom the angel of the Lord reiterates this promise saying that in him all the nations shall be blessed Abraham ultimately saw Jesus' day, as Jesus said. He rejoiced to see my day, John chapter 8. And by faith, he offers up his son Isaac in light of that. Miraculously, seeing ultimately, thousands of years later, the father providing his son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I want you to see here 
Notice the first couple of verses or so, first 10 verses or so, roughly. Notice the examination of Abraham's faith. And our text begins by saying, after these things. After these things. We're not told exactly when chapter 22, the events in chapter 22 happen uh, in relationship to what we've seen before. Uh, Chapters 20 and 21, the the story of Abraham uh, in the land of King Abimelech and in the birth of his first, uh, or uh, the son of the promise, Isaac. We're just told after these things. I mentioned last Sunday that uh, in the ancient Near East, it was roughly two to five years was the, was the time period uh, of weaning a little child from his mother. And so he is now uh, a, a, a toddler, at least, a, a little boy, at least. But we know he's got to be a little stronger than a two, three, even four-year-old, maybe even a five-year-old, because at, in verse number six, Abraham chops up a bunch of wood, And where does he put the wood? Who carries the wood? Isaac carries the wood up the hill. Isn't that amazing? So he's got to be a little bit older than a five-year-old. Daxon likes to cut the wood up on our backyard, and uh, he carries a a good chunk of it uh, into where it goes. But uh, Dax, if I was to tie all that wood that Mr. Dill gave us, if I tied it on your back, you think you can carry it all? (laughs) Of course, he's so cocky. He says, yes, of course, I can carry it. But all the wood for a burnt offering, I don't know. I don't know. So he carries it. So the point is, he, he's, this is somewhat later. We're not told how much later, but it's somewhat later. He's at least old enough, strong enough to carry wood. And notice it's also going uphill, right? So verse 6, carrying wood uphill. So after these things, God tested. Do you see that? God tested Abraham. And we might think, well, that's that's. That's a hard, like, that's a hard verse. That's a hard phrase. It's a hard pill for us to swallow. God tested Abraham? Doesn't, does God, does God tempt us? Is there a difference between testing and tempting? How do you know that? Well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. God's going to tell you, right? God's going to tell you that. Doesn't, doesn't the apostle tell us, James tell us in chapter 1 of James, that, that when you are, what? When you're tempted, don't say, I'm being tempted by the Lord. Why? Why can't, you, why can't we say that? God doesn't tempt anyone, right? You're led by your own sins, your own sinfulness, your own, your own nature, your own, uh, your own struggles, and so forth. As one writer says, it's God who tests us to bring about good. God tests us to bring about good. Uh, Satan tempts us to bring about evil. God tests, Satan tempts. God tests to bring good. Satan tempts to bring about evil. There's a hymn in our hymnal, uh, hymn number 243. You can turn there uh, if you'd like. My hymnal. One of our songs says it like this, uh, hymn number 243, and I'll just read there uh, the third verse of How Firm a Foundation. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. Why? For I will be with you. That's what the prophet even said from Jeremiah this morning. 
your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. Notice that even when God calls us, as that hymn says, this is quoting from the prophecy of Isaiah, even when God calls us to go through floodwaters, which are judgments in the Old Testament, when God calls us to go somewhere, to do something, or to believe something even, that is hard and difficult, and it goes against our nature. Notice, he's with us. His presence is right there in the middle of the water, right? Right there when the Israelites passed through, was God with them? Yes. And the purpose, he says there, your troubles to bless, right? The, The purpose of God testing us is to bless us through those troubles and sanctify to you your deepest distress. And I know it's sort of a, we can use Romans 8, 28 oftentimes as sort of a a platitude. You know, God works all things for good. But it's true. But it's true. God works for good all the things he sends upon us in this life. And so he tests. This this account is an account of testing. Testing the faith of Abraham. And then he calls out and he says to him, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. And the test is then stated. Take your son. And notice all the different, all the ways that God speaks of Isaac to reemphasize to us just how a, a, a great a test this really was. Take your son, first of all, your only son Isaac, second of all, whom you love, third of all, and go. And go. In fact, uh, this language of going to a certain place, it's the exact same phrase, uh, the exact same uh, little slogan, if you will, in chapter 12 and in chapter 22. And these are meant to be the sort of the bookends of of the life of Father Abraham. He was called to go to a land that I would show you. Now he's called to go to a mountain of which I will show you. And he hears the voice of God and he believes. But yet, notice the the hardness, the difficulty, the struggle of the test. This is the son, his only son, the son that he loves, that he waited for 25 long years to have. This is the son that he waited and, and that he longed for. And even in his low points of doubt, he even adopts another man, Eleazar, to be that son because he doesn't see the promise coming true. And as he waited, and as he waited, he, he of course, in his own creativity, in his own effort, he, he, takes, he, takes a, uh, he takes Hagar to create from his own efforts a son. Not God's son, but his own son. This is the son that when the Lord promised that he would have a son, he laughed. So ridiculous was the promise that he would have a son. So miraculously and so dramatically, this son was born, we saw in chapter 21, that Abimelech even recognized the hand of God, that God is with you in everything that you do. And so even the unbelieving Abimelech wants to make a covenant and seek peace with Father Abraham, because if you mess with him, right, you're messing with God. Up to this point, we've seen many ups and many downs of Abraham. But now we see this culminating action, this crowning event of his faith. Notice his faith in verse 5. 
So he takes his son, they cut up some wood, they take two servants with them, they go to this, this place, uh, they arise, and so forth, and they, on the third day they lift up their eyes, they see the place from afar. Notice what Abraham tells uh, his two young men, these are men who would go with him and, and help him carry this, uh, all the things that he needed. Stay here with the donkey at the base of this mountain or this place where they had camped. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, Isaac that is, will go over there and worship. What does it mean to worship in this context? What, what's the act of worship? The sacrifice, isn't it? Right? It's not, we're going to go have a little fireside, uh, little sing-along here, right? This is, this is you know, an act of worship, right? A sacrificial act. Go over there. We'll go over there and worship. And notice, what's going to happen after that? After they go there and worship, what's going to happen next? Who's going to come back? Both of them, right? I and the boy will go over there and we, implied, will come again to you. That's faith, right? That's his faith right there. He believes this promise. Notice again in verse number 7, when, uh, when they go there, they go there, Isaac, perplexed, asks the question, this is a natural question, if you live in a context where you make animal sacrifices on a, on a daily basis and you, and you worship by sacrifice, my father, he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac has seen his dad offer up lambs before. Well, where's the sacrifice, dad? What does he say? God will provide. Notice, interestingly, isn't it? For himself. It's not just that he's going to provide and, you know, get me off the hook of sacrificing my son, right? This is he will provide for himself. For himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering. And so they both go together. How can faith say this? How can Abraham in faith say these things? That we're going to go there and we're going to come back. That God is going to provide the sacrifice that he's requiring. How can he say these things? Well, what's faith? Right? What, what's faith? Is faith a, a gift of God's grace to sinners like us? Does faith include a, at least a measure or a sense of confidence in what God says to do? Yes. It's a gift. It includes a measure of assurance. Of course, we, that has to be built up. But faith, as it grows, also enables the believer to perceive more and more clearly the promises of God. And so he's been hearing over and over and over again of all these promises. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. He's going to bless the whole world. As many, you're going to have as many as the stars and the sand and so forth. He's, he's struggling, but he's growing. So much so that after his son is born and he sees fulfillment, he's able to say, we're going to go there and come back. God says, go sacrifice my son, and I'm going to go there and come back with my son. God's going to give, give us the lamb that he requires. He can say these things because if you turn briefly to the New Testament, you'll see in Hebrews chapter number 11, a beautiful, a beautiful uh, explanation of this very, very story. 
Hebrews chapter number 11. How, how can Abraham say that I and the, and the boy are going to go over there and worship, meaning I'm going to sacrifice him, and we are going to return? How can he say in faith that God's going to provide the lamb? Of course, he can say these things because faith, again, is a gift. He can say these things because faith includes confidence in what God has said, and he's growing in that confidence and in that faith to see the promises of God more and more clearly that it's Isaac that is the son of promise. It's through Isaac that the world's going to be blessed. If he dies, what happens? If Isaac dies, and that's the end of it, what happens to God's promise? There is no promise, right? It's done. He knows now. He's growing now. He's understanding now that these things that God is saying to do in faith are pointing me to something greater. Notice what he says. Hebrews does. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, notice that again, tested, not tempted, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act. Right? He grabs the knife. He's about to plunge it into his son. Slaughter him, the text says. Very graphic language. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Notice verse number 19. He, that is Abraham, considered that God was able even to do what? To raise him from the dead. And notice, the writer says, from which, figuratively, from the dead, figuratively, Speaking, he did receive him back. That is to say, when he tied him up and he laid him on top of the wood and he was about to sacrifice him and light the flame, and then the animal, uh, the Lord says, there's a, there's a, uh, don't do this, and there's a ram, right? He then takes his son off. Figuratively, he raised him from the dead. Now, why was Abraham so uh, faithful and so full of faith to believe that God was able to offer, uh, 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 to, to resurrect even his son as if he was offered up and he was killed. Why would Abraham be able to believe that? What is it about God that he was so confident at this point that he could say, we are going there, we are coming back? What's God done so far that Abraham has seen with his very own eyes? I mean, have you seen a 100-year-old person have a, have, have, a, have a son? Have you seen a woman, a 90-years-old, having a, having a baby? Have you seen God call and protect lots and send judgments? Have you heard the voice of God when he called himself, he identified himself to Abraham at a time when he had taken Hagar and then they had Ishmael and God says, I am God Almighty. I will make this promise true. I am El Shaddai. The God who created is the God who raises from the dead. And so he believed. He believed that God was able even to raise up his son. Should he go through with the act in obedience and sacrifice him as God commanded. And he was just about to do that and God stops the knife. At that very moment of sacrifice then, secondly, notice the affirmation of his faith. The angel of the Lord stops him from doing this. Back to our text. Notice what verse number 12 says. After the angel stops him, 
Don't lay your hands and so forth. For now, notice verse 12, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld, withheld your son, your only son, from me. Children, does God know everything? Children, does God know everything? Sadie, I can't hear you. Does God know everything? Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Larry, you can say it too. Yes, he does. God knows everything, doesn't he? Nothing's hidden from God. Nothing is hidden from God. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. The beginning from the end. He knows everything. It's beyond our understanding how that's possible, but he does. Right? He does. Does God know all? Yes. Nothing is hidden from his sight, as our little kids' catechism tells us and teaches us. So, so why does God talk like this, then, in the Bible? Talk like this. Again, verse number 12, uh, where the angel of the Lord says, Now I know that you fear God. Why does he say that? If God knows everything, why does he say, well, now I know it? Did God not know it before this? Was God surprised by Abraham's faith? Wow, I tested this guy, and man, oh man, oh man. You know, he really shocked me, but good for him, right? Why does God talk like this? It's not that God doesn't know. But God speaks like this because, you know, we don't know, right? We don't know. God speaks like this not for his own benefit, but for our benefit. God speaks like this in the Bible not because he doubts and is kind of ambivalent or unsure what's the outcome going to be. No, it's because we do. Because we do. So God speaks like this in the Bible to assure us, not him, to assure us. Abraham, you fear God. You've believed. You trust that I am El Shaddai, that I'm almighty, I can raise the dead, and so forth. You see, Abraham is an example to us of what God does and how God operates, that God sends trials to test us. And, you know, we're all the same, aren't we? I mean, we, 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 we go through some kind of a test or a, or a trial or a struggle uh, or a series of doubts, a period of, you know, uh, sort of that proverbial dark night of the soul and we wonder you know why god why me god sends trials to test because we you and i we we need reassurance we need to know that he has a purpose in whatever the trial the struggle the weakness that we have is he sends them not for his own benefit, but for yours and mine. God oftentimes puts obstacles in front of us, not to trip us, but those obstacles become, become place markers and, and times and, and, and opportunities for God to enter into our lives in tangible, experiential ways to show us his, that his grace is sufficient for us. God does this, and I can attest of my own self, my own soul, that 
Yes, even I have asked God, and very recently, why me? Why, God? Why are these people doing these things? Why are they saying such things? God, why would you allow this to happen? God, I thought this was the purpose and plan. I thought this, Lord, was the path that that I was supposed to be, or that we were supposed to be on. Why, God? Why? It's because God wants us to know that his grace is sufficient. Didn't he tell Paul something like that once, right? That, you know, he had sort of a thorn in the side. We're not really sure what the thorn in the side is. Um, men, it's not your wife, right? You can't say that. It's not a thorn in the side, right? I mean, something about Paul, right? We're not told exactly what it was, but he had this thorn in the side, right? And even the, even the Lord allowed the devil to come to him, sort of as, as he does in the story of Job, and and to, and to test him from that time. But, but, he, but he learned through all those struggles and that thorn that was poking at his side, so to speak, that my grace is sufficient for you. Don't worry about the trial, right? Worry about the Lord. Trust in him. And Hebrews tells us, like, uh, this very same thing about Abraham, because in, in Hebrews 11, uh, we, 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 we learn that it's by faith that God, uh, the writer tells us, it's by faith that God commends, God Uh, assures, God reassures uh, the saints of old, uh, and the same for us. And so when Abraham uh, believed the Lord in chapter 15, and the Lord accounted that faith as righteousness, we learn that by faith alone, God affirms and God commends Father Abraham as a righteous man and so that's a that's the paradigm for us as new covenant christians it's by faith it's by faith that god not only counted abraham righteous but it's also by faith that he continues to commend and continues to reaffirm and reassure through faith that he is a righteous godly god-fearing man by faith one of our, one of our uh, it's not in our new hymnal, but in our old hymnal, one of our old songs uh, goes like this. And it's really a beautiful description of what we see here. It's a prayer. It's a, from the Old Testament psalm, Psalm 35. Uh, but it's a prayer. Be thou my helper in the strife. So think about Abraham and, and the, the strife, right? The spiritual strife that he experienced and that you and I also experienced. Be thou my helper in the strife. O Lord, my strong defender be. Thy mighty shield protect my life. Thy spear confront the enemy. And then this, amid the conflict, O my Lord, thy precious promise let me hear. The faithful reassuring word, I am thy savior, do not fear. It's amid conflict and amid strife and in the midst of trials, in the midst of tests, and even if Satan should tempt us. We pray, thy precious promise, let me hear the faithful, reassuring word, I am thy Savior. Do not fear. God brings trials in the life of Father Abraham and us to reaffirm to us that he is our Savior. We have nothing to fear. He's our Savior. His grace is sufficient for us. And then finally, notice here, uh, the provision that God gives for the faith of Abraham. Again, kids, let me ask you this uh, this morning. 
Kids, do you love your parents? I mean, I really hope so, right? I really hope so. So when it's mom or dad's birthday, or it's Father's Day, or it's Mother's Day, or maybe even Christmas, or maybe just because. But think about your mom or dad's birthday, or, father or Father's or Mother's Day. Do you, do, you, do you say to your mom and dad, I love you on that day? Is that all you say on that day? There you go. You can say happy birthday too, right? There you go. Happy, happy Father's Day. But, but you say at least you say one time, I hope, on that day. Mom, I love you. Dad, I love you. But do you then just go back to go playing with your toys? you go outside and shoot hoops? Do you uh, go back to your iPad or whatever? Do you just say it once and that's the end of it? Don't you, don't you usually give something to your mom and dad? You know, I mean, you know, give dad a punch maybe in the gut or, you know, at least give a hug, right? Or pretend to give him a kiss. You give him, some, you give him a gift or something. Like maybe you made it yourself. Maybe you bought it yourself. In the same way, God gives aids, provisions. He, he gives tangible ways for Abraham's faith to grab hold of the promise of God, to know that God loves him, to prop up Abraham's faith, to build up Abraham's faith, to strengthen his faith, and he does the same thing for us. And you see here in the, in the rest of the story that there's a few different things that God provides for Abraham to reassure and to give him tangible ways to access this promise of God towards him. He, he provides the ram. It's caught there in a thicket. I mean, lo and behold, there's a ram there uh, for, for him. And so Abraham calls that very place uh, Jehovah Jireh. There's, a, there's an old song we used to sing, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, whose grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. You know what? Come on, Paul, you know that song. Sing along. Come on, sing along. <laughs> right? He's the Lord who provides, the Lord who sees, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord also uh, reassures him of a promise here, doesn't he? Look at verse 15 where he says, By myself I have sworn. This is a very rare phrase in the Bible. It's only used a few different times. Uh, And so it speaks of a very serious oath that God takes, a solemn promise that God is making. And you see that there in verses 17 and 18 where he reaffirms all that he said, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring like the stars, like the sand. They shall possess the gate of their enemies. And it's in this offspring, Isaac, that all the nations shall be blessed. So he provides a ram. He provides a reassurance of, or a reiteration of the promise. But notice also, it's, it's kind of strange oftentimes. We read our Old Testament Bibles, and this is an amazing story, the culminating act of Abraham's faith. And then you get to verse number 20, and it really makes no sense. Why is this little thing added, these couple verses, this list of strange names? How does this relate to God reassuring Father Abraham? God, th- this, this account here, this narrative is, is included because God was also already then, at that point, providing a bride for Isaac to continue the line of promise. So if Abraham kills his son and, this, and Isaac is not resurrected, the promise is over with 
And this, on the same account, if Isaac doesn't get married and have children, sons and daughters, the promise comes to an end. How's he going to get married? Who's he going to marry? How's he going to have sons and daughters? How's God's promise going to be continued? How is the promise of, the, uh, of, of an offspring like the stars of the heavens, the sand of the seashore, going to be continued if there's no marriage? And so we have this strange little story about Abraham's brother Nahor uh, and his wife having sons and daughters. And then you have a little statement in verse 23, Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Right, if we, don't know the, if we don't know the story already, sort of, you know, okay, that's interesting, but we know the story. This becomes God's provision already then so that Abraham would know in his old age that this promise that God has made to me is going to continue. In the same way God provides for us, in the same way God provides for our faith, instead of a ram caught in a thicket, God provides for us a Savior, Jesus, upon a cross. Instead of a reassurance of a promise that comes to us even in very dramatic ways like this, we get to hear the promise of God reiterated over and over again every time we read the word and receive the sacraments. And although we may not have this particular promise attached to sort of our story where God provides for us, uh, in this case, a, a wife for Isaac, God, in his providence, uh, provides for us all things that he turns for good, even things that we might consider evil things. Do you believe that God is able to turn evil in your life to good? God is able, right? God is able. He's willing. The Heidelberg Catechism says he's not just able to turn evil to our good because he's almighty God. He's also willing to do it because he's a faithful father towards us the faithful father towards us. Again, one of our hymns says it so beautifully, just to conclude. One of our hymns says it like this. Though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide, The promise assures us the Lord will provide. When Satan assails us to stop up our path and courage all fails us, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though oft he has tried, this heart-cheering promise the Lord will provide. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are a providing God and you provide for us your children every necessity of eternal as well as our temporal lives and we can look at the wonderful story of Abraham and his and his crowning achievement of faith and we can see most of all you Lord in your hand in his life leading and guiding and 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 helping him lifting him up building him up calling him Lord sometimes prodding and pushing from behind but calling from in front Uh, Lord, we see your provision for his faith, and in many ways, in many trials and ups and downs, we see your amazing blessings. And so the same for us this morning, we come to you through Jesus Christ, uh, that great crowning achievement that you've provided for the world. Lord, help us to believe in him today. If we don't know Jesus, Lord, to to see in the stories of 
of the Old Testament even. Stories of your faithfulness and your love and your care for the world. Give us the gift of faith to believe. And Lord, help our faith in its ups and downs to grow, to be strong. And so now as we come to the Lord's table, would you receive us, Lord? Would you build our faith? And Lord, maybe as we hold in our hands bread and wine, even hear your faithful, reassuring word, I am thy Savior, do not fear. We ask all this in his wonderful name, and all God's people say, Amen. Let's turn together in our songbooks, our hymnals, please.